If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you please to take them and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And as you know, we're continuing our series of messages following the theme of promises. And of course, we're talking primarily and exclusively about the promises of God. The Bible is just filled multiple times of promises uh, that God has made to his people and especially to Christians. And today we're going to be looking at the promise that our Lord made regarding his return to this earth. Someday, Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and fulfill the promise that he made of his return and of his establishment of a millennium kingdom upon this earth and of course the eternal home that we will have with him in heaven. And so God makes a promise. Uh, You can take it to the bank as we say in East Texas. God cannot and will not tell a lie and when he makes a promise you can rest assured that he's going to fulfill that promise. And he promised uh, that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would return to this earth someday. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to focus primarily on beginning with verse 31 through verse 46. There are three parables in the 25th chapter of Matthew, all of which has to do with the return of our Lord. But for our purpose today, we're going to look at verses 31 through 46. It's the parable uh, regarding the the, uh, 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 the coming judgment of the Lord. So beginning with verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and on the goats his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it unto one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those who are on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did that not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it unto one of the least of these, you you did not take it or did not do it to me. These will also go away into eternal, eternal punishment, but the righteous 
into eternal life. Back in 1965, Billy Graham published a book entitled World Aflame. And he was looking at the world and all of the problems and difficulties that were going on in the world, morally, domestically, internationally, and so forth. At one point in the book, this is what he wrote. Our world is on fire and man without God will never be able to control the flame. The demons of hell have been set loose. The fires of passion and greed, hate and lust are sweeping the world. We seem to be plunging madly toward Armageddon. Well, that was some 49 years ago when he was talking about the world of his day. And it seems that the world certainly has not gotten any better. If anything, it has gotten worse. Because of the many problems that are going on in the world today, we're tempted to ask, what is this world coming to? A better question would be, who is coming to this world? And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming to this world and everything that is taking place in the world to this very day is simply moving us to that appointed hour when the Lord Jesus Christ will return in all of his majesty and in all of his glory and will establish his kingdom upon the face of the earth. As a child, George Tullock was fascinated by the stories of the Titanic. He read as much as he could throughout the years of his early life. And in 1996, he put together a team of the best scientists and sailors and set out to the exact spot where the Titanic sank. He and his crew were able to recover numerous artifacts, eyeglasses, jewelry, dishware, some coins and the like. But the most exciting thing that they found was a large piece of the hull resting several hundred yards from the main place. The team did its best to raise the 21-ton piece of iron, but to no avail as they were moving the, the, the hull up to the surface of, um, of the ocean. Uh, the storm started to come and the, the cables that were connected to the hull broke, snapped, and it went sinking back to the grave where it was discovered. Uh, then Tullock did a surprising thing to his crew. Uh, before they were forced to retreat because of the, of the storm, Tullock descended into the deep of the ocean once more in a small submarine. And using a robotic arm, he attached a small handmade placket onto the section of the hull. It said, I will come back, George Tullock. Well, Jesus Christ made a similar promise concerning his return to the earth. In the gospel of John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions, not will be, or we're working on it. But he says, in my father's house are present tense are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised that he would come back to this earth. 
Moving on over to the book of Acts and the first chapter, the Bible tells us that our Lord escorted his disciples out to Bethany where he was to ascend from this earth back to the Father. As he was ascending into the sky and to the Father, the disciples stood there looking up and watching Jesus as he disappeared in the clouds. Two angels appeared at their side and said to them, why are you looking here at this man from Galilee? Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The same Jesus, the same Jesus that was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the same Jesus who grew up and was obedient and surrendered to the leadership and support and encouragement of his mother and foster father, Mary and Joseph. The same Jesus who was taken to the temple at the age of 12 and astonished the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders of the Sanhedrin at the questions that he would ask and the answers that he would give to the questions they asked of him. This same Jesus who began his public ministry at the age of 30 was baptized by the hand of John who went about doing good, performing miracles and healing people and raising people from the dead. The same Jesus who was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and was nailed to a cross and became sin for you and for me and was buried in the tomb and on the third day rose again from the dead. That same Jesus who ascended into heaven will come back to this earth and establish his kingdom. Now in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, there are three parables, all of which have to do with the return of Jesus. The first parable has to do, of course, with the ten virgins, five of them wise and five of them foolish, regarding the oil that was to have been placed in the little lamps. They, they, uh, it was a wedding. The background is of a wedding ceremony uh, where a groom had uh, proposed to his bride and and as was their custom, the groom would go and prepare a place and at the appropriate time, at a moment only he knew when that would take place, unannounced, the bride didn't know when he was coming. It was her responsibility to be ready. The bridesmaids also did not know when he was going to come. Their responsibility was to be ready. And so at a moment, without a notice, without an announcement, without not any prior preparation, the voice was hung, rung out, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And the five wise virgins who had adequate oil for their lamps went out to meet the bridegroom. The five foolish ones had not made proper preparation. They didn't have adequate amount of oil. And so they went to the five wise and said, Share with us what you have so that we may go too. And they said, We can't. We have only enough oil for our lamps. We don't have enough to share with you if we give you a portion of what we have, then we'll run out as well. No, you need to go back to the city and you need to purchase oil for yourself. And so they hurried back, but unfortunately it was only too late. And by the time they returned, the door was closed and they banged and knocked and hollered and screamed, let us in, let us in. No, it's too late. The door has been closed and locked. The lesson I believe that he's trying to teach us there, how important it is for us to be ready. We don't know the hour or the day when Jesus will return. Perhaps it will be today. Perhaps it will be before we finish this service today that Jesus will return. We don't know when. We just know that he has promised to return to this earth and it is essential that you and I be ready for his return. 
The second parable, of course, has to do with accountability, where he had uh, called, uh, used the story about the master who called three of his servants in. He gave talents, five to one, two to another one, one to a third. He told them to take responsibility for those things. He went away for a season. He came back. They didn't know how long he was going to be gone. All they had to do was to be responsible and accountable for what had been entrusted to them. And so when the, father, when the master did return, he called them in and said, Now what have you done with the talents that I've entrusted to you? The one to whom he had given five, he said, well, I've taken those five talents. Uh, I've invested them. Now instead of five, I have ten. Well done, he said, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll give you many more other things. He called in the two, the man to whom he had given the two talents. What have you done with your two talents? He said, well, I've invested them. I've doubled them. Now instead of two, I've got four. Well done, he said. You've been faithful over those few things. Here, I'll give you many more responsibilities. I don't know all that that parable has to do regarding the future uh, that we will experience when the Lord returns. But depending on what we're going to do in heaven has a lot to do with our faithfulness to what God has entrusted to us. Notice what he said to those two men. You have been faithful over these things. I will give you many more things to do. So we're going to be busy in heaven. But the, I think the lesson that he's trying to teach us here in this parable of the talents is our accountability. We will stand before the Lord someday and we will give an account unto him for our lives, for what we do, for what we say, where we go, the talents that he has entrusted to us. He wants us to invest our lives in the kingdom of heaven and he's going to hold us accountable for that and we will stand before him to answer to him for whether we've been faithful or unfaithful. Now we come to this third and final parable, and it has to do with the judgment, the coming judgment, because after we're ready, and then, of course, uh, he comes and holds us accountable, there will be judgment. Now, I believe that there will be more than one judgment. There will be uh, the judgment of the Christian who will stand before what's called the Bema of Christ. Paul talks about this in his letters to the Corinthians. And that's not the, the, the throne before which we will stand to determine whether or not we're going to go to heaven. We're just going to be held accountable. That's where we'll receive our rewards for our faithfulness or not receive rewards because of our unfaithfulness. There's another throne that the Bible talks about that's described in the book of Revelation. It's called the great white throne judgment. We don't want to stand before that one, folks. And as a Christian, you will not. The great white throne judgment is that throne before which the unbeliever will stand and will be judged to an eternal hell and will hear the words, I believe the saddest words that have ever been penned or spoken, depart from me, Jesus will say, I never knew you. And they will be cast out into the lake of fire that was been prepared for the devil and his angels and they will live in a torment and hell for all eternity. And so now he's talking about judgment judgment. And there are four things that I want to share with you this morning as you have on your outline that we're going to look at as we think about this coming judgment that will take place when our Lord returns to this earth. The first idea, of course, has to do with our Lord's glory. When Jesus returns to this earth, he will return in glory. The second one is Christ shall return with angelic company. The angels will accompany him. The third one is that Christ shall return in royal dignity. He's going to come to sit upon his throne and establish his kingdom. And then fourthly, Christ shall return in judicial authority in which he will be our judge. Now, let's look at each of these. 
First of all, Christ shall return in glory. Uh, look at verse 31. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes, how? In his glory. And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Now let's stop for just a moment at verse 31 and, and describe briefly what the word glory means. What does the word glory mean? We talk about the glory of God. Well, it's a difficult thing to describe the glory of God. You've got to see it in order to be able to experience it and to, and to explain it. Uh, we do know that uh, when uh, we think about the Lord and how wonderful and glorious he is, we, we want to give him glory and praise. So sometimes his glory will... Uh, uh, will cause us to, to praise him. But the best definition, I suppose, that one could give about the meaning of glory is this, talking about the glory of God. If you will take everything that God is, everything that God does, and everything that God says, and put it in a package, and bundle it up, and put a label on it, the label would read, Glory. Glory. The glory of God is the sum total of everything he is and does and says. And his glory creates in us a response of praise and of worship. To him be the glory and praise because he and he alone is worthy. So when we talk about the glory of God, it's just everything that God is and says and does. It's just God himself. God is glory. Now, there are three things about the glory of Jesus when he returns. First of all, when he returns, he will be in his glorious body. He will be in his body of glory. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, take your Bibles, keep your place here at Matthew 25, but turn back to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Now, there are two or three places in the Gospels where the transfiguration of Jesus is described. They differ a little bit in some of their descriptive terms, such as in Matthew, he says six Days afterwards, uh, Luke says it's eight days, but it all depends on how uh, they began counting. Uh, no discrepancy or conflict or contrast here. Uh, but notice in chapter 17 of Matthew and verse 1, you have the transfiguration. Where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, uh, his brother, and they then went high on the mountain by themselves, just the four of them. And, and before the eyes of Peter, James, and John, Jesus, according to verse 2, was transfigured. His face did what? Shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to him, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright, bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes for a few moments God just pulled back the veil, so to speak, uh, uh, the veil of his humanity. 
and, and saw the true nature uh, of his character on the inside of him. He's the son of God, was, always has been, always will be. No past tense, no future tense. He is the great I am. He's always been God, but he was, he was clothed in humanity and God allowed that human clothing to be removed and they could see the glory of God. And it terrified them. It says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes, everything radiated. It was the glory of God in his body. Now notice, uh, go back while you're still in chapter 17, but, but look up at chapter 16, the last two verses. Verses 27 and 28 of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come how? In the glory of his Father. And when will he be in the glory of the Father? When he comes. When he comes, he's going to come in the glory of his Father. Uh, with his, and he's coming with his angels and then will repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, now notice verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now that verse has always mystified me. I, I think he's saying that there's somebody who's living right here and now that's not going to die until he comes back in all of his glory. Well, if that's the meaning of it, then that means that whoever he's talking about will never die until Jesus comes back in glory. But um, I think I've, the Lord, the Holy Spirit led me to something else. I, I think who he was talking about here when he said in verse 28, there's some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man in all of his glory. And then you go into chapter 17 and you've got Peter and James and John. And what did they see? They saw the glory of the Lord. And then later on, they died. They saw the glory of the Lord before they died and before Jesus ever came in his second coming. So I think he's talking about it, Peter, James, and John. And that he's talking about when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he's going to come back in his glorified body the body that he received when he came out of that tomb after, after being dead for three days. He had his glorified, sanctified body that he lived in, and yet it was a, a physical body. He could, they could touch him. They could see him. When he appeared to them in the upper room, he could drink, he could eat. And when he got ready to go, he just vanished. He just vanished. He was in his glorified body. And now going back to Matthew 25, it says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back in glory. He's going to come back in glory. Not only the glory of his body, but the glory of his throne. We don't have the time to examine this in great detail, but in, Matthew, in, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you ought to read Revelation chapters 4 and 5 because John describes heaven and we're going to be there with the angels and there's the throne of the Lord. And, and there's the, the, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Um, thundering comes out of the throne. There's a river that comes out of the throne. There is a, a rainbow, a complete rainbow. You know, the rainbow that we see today is only half a rainbow. We don't see a complete rainbow. But around the throne of God, there is a complete rainbow, doubly assuring us that God's going to keep his promise. He said, I'll never flood the world again. Never has. Not like he did in the days of Noah. He hasn't. And he's never going to do that, but around that throne of grace and glory, there is an eternal, everlasting, green, living color of the throne of God. And it's this glorious throne that he's going to be sitting on. 
Now, not only a glorified body and a glorified throne, but a glorified city. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. And again, we don't have time to get at this in great detail, but I want to point a couple of things out to you about the city. You know, heaven is described like a city, and John sees this new heaven and new earth and a, a new city, the new Jerusalem. And uh, notice something in Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse uh, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Now notice verse 2. And I saw the holy city. What kind of city? Holy city. Notice I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. What kind of city? Well a holy city. A new city a new city that didn't exist before, coming down out of heaven from God. Skip down to verse 10 and 11, Revelation 21, verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, the glory of God. And so the whole heavenly city is just going to radiate and be permeated with the glory of the Lord. You're still in Matthew, uh, uh, still in Revelation 21. Skip down to verse 23. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. <laughs> they don't need electricity in heaven. Uh, they don't need the sun, the moon, and the stars in heaven. There's going to be light there, and the whole city, the entire city of heaven is going to be permeated and filled and saturated with the glory of God, and the light of heaven will be the Lamb, who is the light of the world, who will shine throughout all eternity through the city that was made not with human hands. And so when Jesus returns to this earth, he's going to return in glory. Notice the second thing. Let's go back to Matthew 25. This time, let's look at the role of the angels in, in the return of Jesus. Christ will return, and he will be accompanied by the angels. Notice several things. First of all, an angel will announce our Lord's coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says... For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now notice in verse 16 it says that a, there will be a shout and the voice of the archangel. Now evidently the angels have various ranks and perhaps the greatest or most important or the highest of all the ranks of the angelic host is the archangel. There are only three angels mentioned in the Bible by name, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And these are archangels, and it was Lucifer whose name means the bright and shining one, talking about the illumination of heaven. The name Lucifer means the bright and shining one, and it is believed that it was his responsibility, among other things, to lead all of the angelic host in the worship of God. He coveted that worship for himself, puffed up with pride over his own beauty, Lucifer became Satan, our adversary, the devil, the serpent, and our enemy. 
but an archangel is the chief of all the angels, and we don't know which archangel this will be. Gabriel was the angel of messenger. He was the messenger. He was the one that announced to Mary that she would conceive and, and give birth to Jesus. Maybe this is Michael, or maybe it be old Gabriel, as the old song says. Gabriel, blow your horn and shout, Jesus is coming, he is here. Exactly how that will be done, we don't know, other than it says there will be a great shout and the voice of the archangel, Christ is here, Christ is here. Now notice not only the angelic announcement of our Lord's coming, but notice also that Christ will acknowledge us before angels. That is, he will confess us before angels. Look at Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Luke 12, 8 and 9 says, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before whom? The angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. When and where is all this going to take place? Well, when the Lord returns, the Bible says in the book of Philippians, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess of things in heaven, things in heaven, Who's in heaven? The angels. Angels are in heaven. The saints who have preceded us in death are in, in heaven. Things in heaven, things in the earth, things below the earth. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Angels have always known, been with the, he created them. They've always been with him ever since, except those who were expelled when they rebelled with Lucifer. And so we will be standing in the presence of the angels as well as all the saints of God. Every knee shall bow. Even angels will bow. Do angels have feet? Yes, they do. They have wings and um, uh, they have eyes and ears and hands and, and, and angels came down to the earth and walked among men with Abraham and, and all these other guys of the Old Testament and, and, and angels uh, can speak. They, they bring announcements and so, yes, those angels who have been uh, obedient unto the Father, they too will bow down. Even the demons and Satan and everybody who is in hell, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it will be done in the presence of the angels. And then number three, angels will reap the harvest of the souls. We don't, again, have the time to go into it in great detail, but in Revelation 14, the, the announcement and command is given to send the angels throughout all the entire earth and gather up all the saints of God. And so the angels will be reaping and gathering up the harvest because it is ripe. The third thing that you'll notice is that when Christ returns, he will come back in great dignity. When he came the first time, of course, we know that he was, came in great humiliation. But when he returns, he'll come in great dignity. Notice in the book of Matthew, going back to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Oh, his glorious throne. Skip down to verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right. And then skip down to verse 40. Then the king will answer and say to them. So twice at least, perhaps more times than that, in the 25th chapter of Matthew, uh, Jesus is described as the king. Now, interesting thing about the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a Jew. After his conversion and his salvation experience and trusting and recognizing Jesus as the son of God and the savior of the world, 
He wrote the gospel of Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it to his fellow Jews. When you read the gospel of Matthew, it's the gospel of the coming kingdom. Throughout the entire gospel of Matthew, you'll find reference after reference after reference. The kingdom of heaven. The the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he'd tell a story. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. All through the gospel of Matthew. Matthew opens his book by saying, there were wise men who came from the east saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? He ends his gospel by saying that when they crucified Jesus on a cross, Pilate had a sign tacked to the top of the cross. This is Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. And so Jesus is the king And when he comes back, he will sit upon his glorious throne. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the glory of God will radiate and illuminate from out from under the throne of God. It's a glorious throne, not only a glorious throne, but a Davidic throne. Because the throne on which our Savior will sit is a throne that was promised by the Lord to David himself In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God promised David, he said, you will have a kingdom and there will be a throne and your throne and your kingdom will be established forever and forever. And then in the gospel of Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, this is what among other things he said to her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So Jesus' throne that he will sit on is known as the Davidic throne, the glorious throne. And the third thing is it's going to be a shared throne because Jesus has promised because we're heirs of his and uh, he's uh, and joint heirs with him. We're going to share in that throne. We're going to share in that kingdom. Matthew 19, verses 27 and 28, Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who follow me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking to his disciples there, but, but way down in the book of Revelation, we are told that he has made all of us to be kings and priests. And we'll share with him. If we suffer with him, uh, then we will also reign with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. So we're going to share in that throne. He's making us kings and priests this very moment. The fourth and final thing, and we must hurry for time is running out. Not only literally, but also spiritually as well. Christ shall return in judicial authority. Go back to Matthew 25. Three or four things about it. First of all, the time of the judgment. When is this judgment going to take place? He says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So there's not going to be a time limit after that. It's just going to come. And and there's not going to be an announcement other than the announcement that we're already telling you. Judgment's coming. You better be ready. But when it comes, you won't have any other warning. Warning time will be all over when Jesus appears out of the east, I believe coming in here in all of his glory into this world. It's judgment day, folks. Judgment day. Not preparation day. Preparation day is now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. 
You must be ready now. You can't wait until Jesus appears in all of his glory and majesty and say, wait a minute, Lord, I got to get ready. Let me confess you now. No, be too late then. When Christ returns to this earth in glory, it's judgment day. Notice not only the time of the judgment, but the place of the judgment when he sits on his glorious throne. That's when he comes back in his glory. He's going to sit on his throne. He's going to gather all the nations of the earth before him and pass judgment upon them. Notice the subjects of the judgment. All the nations will be gathered upon him, before him. Now the word nations there uh, comes from a Greek word from which we get our word ethnic. So it's not talking about like Germany and all those. It's talking about people. It's talking about people. He's going to gather all the people of the earth and judge them. And then the basis of the judgment to the extent that you did it to one of these. Now he's talking, talking about here about working for your salvation. Uh, I noticed there's a verse of scripture that I wanted to go back and, and, and bring out to your attention. Yeah, verse 34, look at Matthew uh, 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, what? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So Jesus knows in advance how you and I are going to respond. And you notice that he, he classifies uh, those in verse 34. He comes down to verse 37. And then the righteous, the righteous. But then when you come down to verse, um, uh, oh, where he says, depart from me, you, you workers of iniquity. So he's talking about the unrighteous and how they will be cast into hell. So the righteous and the unrighteous, that's the results of the judgment. In verse 41 is the unrighteous. Depart from me the accursed ones into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So the basis of the judgment is not that you, oh, you see somebody sick and you say, well, if I minister to that sick person, that's going to mean I'm, I'm going to be saved. Or here's somebody thirsty and I give him water or hungry, I'm going to feed him. Or in prison, I'm going to minister to him. And then based on all my good works, I'm going to be saved. No, Jesus is simply saying, here's how you know whether you're saved or not. If you're saved, then you're going to go about doing righteous things. If you're not saved, then you won't. And so if you're saved, he's just going to say, welcome to my kingdom. Come and enjoy the things that have been prepared for you. If you don't do those things, it's an indication that you don't know the Father. Therefore, you'll be cast out into eternal darkness. So here you see that Christ will return in all of his glory with the angels sitting on his great glorious throne. And then he will pass judgment upon the people of the world. Going back to Billy Graham's book, World of Flame, toward the end of the book, this is what he, he says. Once while crossing the North Atlantic, I looked out of my porthole when I got up in the morning and I saw one of the blackest clouds I'd ever seen. I was certain that we were in for a terrible storm. I ordered my breakfast sent to my room and I spoke to the steward about the storm. He said, oh, oh, no, don't worry about that. We've already come through the storm. It's behind us. And then Graham says, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have already come through the storm of judgment. It happened at the cross. You see, Romans 8, 28 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You and I don't have to worry about the coming judgment of God. All of the wrath and judgment that you and I deserved was poured out on Jesus when he died on the cross. He became sin for us who knew no sin. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So if you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've repented of your sins and accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and your Savior, you won't have to be embarrassed and shrink back from him, but say, thank you, Jesus. Welcome. I'm so glad to see you. I hope you'll be grouped among those who are righteous and that you'll not hear the saddest words that have ever been spoken. Depart from me. I never knew you. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation now at this time. Andre, if you would come. I've asked Bobby Smith, our associate pastor, to come and stand here at the front and receive anyone who might respond uh, to, to the invitation. And so if you don't mind, I'll stay here and Bobby will be here to receive you. If you're here today and you need to make public your profession of faith in Christ, then you come. If you are looking for a church home, you feel this is where God would have you to come and place your life and your membership, we welcome you. Bobby, Bobby will be here to, to welcome you as well. So let's all stand and, and as we sing in God's Holy Spirit, lead you, you come please.